Let us open our copies of God's Word to the book of 2 Kings, the 22nd chapter. Recently in Vespers, we concluded our preaching through First and Second Kings. This particular passage in 2 Kings 22 jumps out at me as of particular importance, and I'm going to bring essentially what I did in Vespers with some expansion into the pulpit this evening. 2 Kings 22, 1 through 20. Let us pray. Our Father, we turn now to read and mark your holy word, and we ask that the Holy Spirit will give to this congregation a lively love for your word, for your truth, for your gospel, and we ask that you will take that truth way down deep within our souls to transform our lives and conform us to the image of your own dear Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. 2 Kings 22, this is the word of the Lord. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedida, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkot. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the eighteenth year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hokiah the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house that is to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons, and let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly." And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest, has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Achbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam, and Achbor, and Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they talked with her, and she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, 
Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands, and therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Now Israel, the ten tribes of the north, has long before been carried off because of their disobedience into captivity. As we come to this passage, we are only a few chapters away from Judah also being taken into captivity. Israel, the ten northern tribes, had no good king, not one. There were a few good kings in Judah, the southern kingdom. One of the worst has just preceded this chapter, and now toward the end of the history of Judah, the southern kingdom, amazing grace, God actually has given to them a good king. After his father Ammon led Judah into the cesspool of idolatry, Josiah in his office truly pointed to the king of kings. The king of Judah pointed to that king that would come, either by pointing against him or for him in the way in which he conducted himself in his office. This king Josiah led Judah away from idolatry. How did he do it? How did he lead the southern kingdom away from idolatry? Well, the answer is plain. This king Josiah, pointing to the king of kings that would come, that would be born a king in Bethlehem of Judea, this king Josiah led them away from idolatry by restoring God's word to its rightful place. We are told in these opening verses here in chapter 22 that Josiah walked in the ways of his father David, that Josiah did not turn aside to the right or to the left. This is a king who actually did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now these are formulae taken from the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5, 17, and 28. And these formulas that we find express adherence to the law of God. This is what a king should be. This is how a king should feel. This is what he should think. This is how he should act. This is the heart of the king who follows the Lord. He walks in the ways of his father, David. Now, as we come to this chapter, we see that a great discovery has been made. That's first, the great discovery. He commanded, Josiah commanded the temple repairs. Obviously, he was removing idolatry and restoring right worship of Jehovah 
to the people of God. Under the prior regime, the temple had fallen into disrepair. What did they care about Jehovah? What did they care about God? What did they care about the temple and all that it pointed to, the coming Redeemer, Jesus Christ? They cared nothing for the truth as it was in Jesus, pointed to through the promise of the temple. When the king, however, sent Shaphan the scribe to Hokiah the priest about paying the workers or distributing to the workers the funds that they were to disseminate for the building, rebuilding of the temple, Hilkiah excitedly reported, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. You should read it that way. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. It had been misplaced. They didn't know where it was. Possibly hidden away by some priest that really believed and knew that if it had been in the hands of the wrong person, it would have been destroyed or perhaps just hidden away out of neglect. But it has now been found and it has now been restored. Now, if you're a book lover the way I am, it's a great thing when you are in an old bookshop and you find a real find. I mean a great book. You're looking along, nothing, nothing, nothing. Ah, ah, here's Charles Hodge. Here's Benjamin Warfield. Here's... Now, if you really want a great old book that's out of print, you have to go to my wife because she's the best book detective ever who recently, as I told the Vespers crowd, found a first edition of The Origin of Paul's Religion by J. Gresham Machen, perfect condition for $10. That's something. <laughs> but this is even better. Here they find the book of the law of God in the house of the Lord. Now this almost certainly means that they found the book of Deuteronomy this book that had been given by God to guide the people of God, telling Israel obedience, disobedience leads to certain consequences. The consequences of disobedience, curses. The consequences of obedience, blessing. They must have been without this book for a long, long while indeed. And evidently, Josiah the king lived a godly life after all, he is attempting to restore the worship of God before the find of this book in the temple. How did he know to follow the Lord? He didn't have the book of Deuteronomy, that book which told the king, here's how you're to act, here's how you're to think, here's how you are to live. This is the heart of the king. He didn't have that book. Where did he learn it? He didn't learn it from his father. His father was a godless man. Maybe he learned it from his mother. Maybe his mother taught him the truth. And he followed the teachings of his mother. Well, the book has been discovered, and there are four readings, perhaps three, probably four readings that follow. We are told in verse 8 that Shaphan read the book. Then we are told that <clears throat> he uh, read it to the king in verse 10. And then in the presence of Hold of the prophetess, it was at least discussed, if not read. And then we find in the next chapter, in chapter 23 that Josiah reads the book of the law to the people of God gathered for that purpose. Now, every time I read this chapter, I think of the 16th century Reformation, which was a rediscovery of the word of the Lord. It was a finding of the word of God that had been, had been hidden away. That Reformation, in which the Greek New Testament in particular was being read by ministers and scholars. It was something new and 
filled with life, and there they met, for example, in the White Horse Inn. And there they would discuss this Greek New Testament, and they would pass it along to others and read in secret so that they would not be killed for reading the Word of God, and some, of course, were. You see, the Word of God is living and active, and when the Bible is really read from the heart, when it transforms the life, it spreads. You see, this is what it means to come to the temple and find the Word of God. Are you so thrilled with the Bible, with the Word of the Lord, as this king was to find the book of Deuteronomy, as our Protestant reformers were to find the Word of God and to bring all of life under the Lordship of Christ according to sola scriptura, the Word of God alone. Well, that's the great discovery. The second thing we see is the Word of the Lord received. That takes us to about verse 20, verses 11 through 20. You see, it's one thing to read the Word of God. It is another thing to receive the Word of God. And so the Word is brought by Shaphan to the king. Hilkiah the priest has found the book of Deuteronomy in the temple. It's been covered with dust. But there it is. He's found it. And I've read this thing, and now he reads it to the king. Will the king receive it? Now, what could the king have done? The king could have said, well, you found the book of Deuteronomy. Isn't that nice? Let's go on with business as usual. Maybe even let's return to the ways of my father before me, which were godless. He could have said that. Or he could have said, oh, you found the Bible. You found the book of Deuteronomy, this portion of God's word. Who believes that anymore? You know, we just don't believe those things. We're too sophisticated for that now. We've become modern men, haven't we? And we're very scientific, and we have our own views of things, and we're just, we're, we're just too sophisticated for the book of Deuteronomy now. Or he could have said this, well, let's take that book of Deuteronomy and let's put it into the hands of the critics and see what they do with it. Let's put it into the hands of the university professors and the critics, and maybe they can tell us if there's anything in it worth keeping. Or he could have said, well, now let's take that book of Deuteronomy and let's make use of it for for political reasons. We'll make a nose of wax out of the book of Deuteronomy. We will apply our hermeneutic that twists and turns the word in all kinds of different directions, and we'll just make use of this so that we can form the kingdom according to our own designs and desires, and the people will think that's what the Bible teaches. Now, did Josiah do that? Did he do any of those things? What did Josiah do? Verse 11 tells us what Josiah the king did. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. Why? Because he also was rending his heart. He rent his heart in grief that the nation had rejected the word of the Lord. He tore his clothes as a sign that his heart was grieving before God, that the word of God was being rejected, not heeded, not listened to, because every reformation is a hearing of the word of God. Josiah wants to know, How to lead the nation to repentance. And so in verse 13, he sends these representatives, Go inquire of the Lord for me, 
And he says, Great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And so he sent these leaders to hold to the prophetess. And so Shaphan and others went. And when they went to hold to the prophetess, we are told that she spoke the word of the Lord by divine inspiration. And this is essentially what she said. Huldah the prophet has said, Judgment is coming against Judah because of their idolatry. Judgment is delayed and will not happen under Josiah's reign. Look again at verses 18 through 20. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. You see what is happening here? The old covenant is petering out. The old covenant is playing out. God's grace is pointing ahead to a future king, to a future kingdom. Josiah could not find God's grace in any permanent way for the people in the old covenant. There must come a new king. There must come a new covenant. A covenant in his blood in order that God's people may have permanent peace and know the grace of God for sure. Yet, even though this is a temporary reformation, only during the time of Josiah himself, we should not minimize the good of this temporary reformation. Josiah had a heart for God's word. The reformation honored God. And I wonder, do we have such a teachable heart before the Lord as did this king when he opened his heart to the word of God? I ask you that question. Do you, do I have such teachable, open hearts to the word of the living God. Maybe someone here will say, I once did. You know, pastor, there was a time where I could not get enough of the word of God. There was a time in which I read it several times a day. I meditated upon it day and night. But you know, the cares of this world have just choked it out. I pick it up occasionally. When I hear a sermon, I, I really just don't put my heart into it. I do nothing to prepare for it before I come. I do nothing with it after I hear it. Uh, there was a time when I would hear the word proclaimed and it would move me to the depths of my soul. And I would attempt to live it out. You know, that's, that was some time ago and I'm just not there anymore. If that's you, my friend, I call you to faith and repentance in Christ. I call you to the living word. I call you to live under the authority of sola scriptura, to confess your sin before God and begin anew, listening attentively to the word of the Lord, submitting all of your thoughts and all of your actions and all of your living to the teaching of this word of redemption, the Bible. 
Josiah then is a type of Christ who is able to do what Josiah himself could never have done. Christ can send his spirit into the hearts of his people and he can write his very law indelibly on the heart of each of his people, giving to you a heart of flesh, taking away the heart that is stony. Third thing, God's word to us, God's word to us. You know, I told you that every time I read this passage, I think of the Protestant Reformation. Well, there's a reason for that. The formula for Reformation, whether it's the Reformation of the 16th century at other times in the history of the church, or today, because the church is in desperate need of Reformation, the formula for Reformation is always this. The Reformation is an attentive listening to the Word of God. And I simply... I simply do not mean a hearing with the physical ear. You know that. I mean a hearing with the heart and with the soul, as if my heart itself were uh, were one great ear. I heard a minister say once when we teach our children to cut out hearts, it's as if uh, it's two ears put together. (laughs) You see? When our children cut out these hearts, it's two ears put together. Yes, The hearing of the ear must be with the hearing of the heart. Reformation is an attentive listening to the word of God. And so I call upon us as a congregation and as we think of the church around us to beware of deformation. We need reformation, which is an attentive listening to the word of God. I call us to beware of deformation in doctrine and in morals. Shifting from the foundation of God's holy word. One writer has said very beautifully, When a nation or an individual begins to move away from God, the Bible becomes a source of irritation. The Bible is the bulwark against false religion and idolatry. Those who want to promote the false must of necessity dispense with the true. We can well imagine, therefore, the idolatrous kings who preceded Josiah making a concerted effort to destroy every copy of the Word of God. Well, this is God's covenant word. They rediscovered Deuteronomy. But you know, we not only have Deuteronomy, we have the entire book. We have the Word of God, a closed canon. Do you prize this book in which God reveals himself to us? Do you prize this Bible in which we find Christ, the Redeemer of sinners? Do you prize this book? Now, I brought with me tonight The Puritan Hope by Ian Murray because I want to read something to you. Two great Puritans, Thomas Goodwin, John Howe. Thomas Goodwin was speaking to John Howe about another minister, great Puritan pastor, theologian, His name was Rogers, John Rogers. John Rogers evidently was a powerful preacher of the Word of God. He was in a place outside of Cambridge called Dedham. And they used to say, let us go to Dedham to get a little fire. (laughs) This is a story that I think is very impressive. So Goodwin is speaking to John Howe about hearing this man, John Rogers, preach. He told me that being himself in the time of his youth a student at Cambridge and having heard much of Mr. Rogers of Dedham in Essex, purposefully he took a journey 
from Cambridge to Dedham to hear him preach on his lecture day. Now that really means the midweek service. And in that sermon, he falls into an expostulation with the congregation about their neglect of the Bible. I am afraid it is more neglected in our days. He personates God to the people, telling them, Well, I have trusted you so long with my Bible, you have slighted it. It lies in such and such houses, all covered with dust and cobwebs. You care not to look into it. Do you use my Bible so? Well, you shall have my Bible no longer. And he takes up the Bible from his cushion and seemed as if he were going away with it and carrying it from them, but immediately turns again and personates the people to God, falling down on his knees, cries and pleads most earnestly, Lord, whatsoever thou dost to us, take not thy Bible from us, kill our children, burn our houses, destroy our goods. Only spare us thy Bible, only take not away thy Bible. And then he personates God again to the people. Say you so? Well, I will try you a little longer, and here is my Bible for you. I will see how you will use it, whether you will love it more, whether you will value it more, whether you will observe it more, whether you will practice it more and live more according to it. By these actions, as Dr. Goodwin told me, he put all the congregation into so strange a posture that he never saw any congregation in his life. The place was a mere bacham. That means the valley of weeping. The people generally, as it were, deluged with their tears. And he told me that he himself, when he got out and was to take horse again to be gone was fain to hang for a quarter of an hour upon the neck of his horse, weeping, before he had power to mount. So strange an impression was there upon him, and generally upon the people, upon having been thus expostulated with for the neglect of the Bible. Now, whatever that story says to us about the old Puritan minister, surely it says to you and me, We really need to value this book. These people way back then in ancient Judah lost the book. They lost the Bible. It was lost under dust and deterioration in the temple. But we can lose the Bible too. How can you and I lose the Bible? Well, we lose it when we do not read it. We lose it when we do not store it up. We lose it when we do not value it. We lose it when we just pay lip service to the Bible. And there are indications that the Bible is being lost. What are some of those indications? Well, when the Bible is being lost, the ministers are careless in preparing their sermons. God forbid that you would come and find a day. Look, I can't always be at my best, but I can always expound the text and preach Christ. Jeff will not always be at his best. You know, we go through what you go through. Life is hard. Things are difficult. The weak sometimes, things pile up. Sometimes, sometimes we're fatigued. Sometimes we're ill. Sometimes we're concerned. We're burdened. Sometimes it's just hormones. Who knows? We're not always at our best. 
But we can always, by the grace of God, be faithful to expound the text and to preach Christ. And yet, what do we find in our country? And I say this very humbly, God forbid that we find it here. May he preserve and protect us. And there are wonderful examples of preaching. But many a place you will go into that calls itself a Christian church, the Bible is read and never expounded after it's read. Never. The Bible is lost in such settings. When, when the congregation is careless toward the preaching of the word, the Bible is being lost. When we are selective in our reading, seeking out passages that we like and leaving others that we don't. Uh, going past convicting passages, I just don't want to hear them. Reading the Bible as a handbook and missing the message of Christ and redemption. Ignoring the Bible's clear application to my heart, to my life. When that happens, we are not retaining the word. We are losing the word in our midst. You remember the words of Amos? I know this has a context, but surely the words are applicable to the church today. Amos 8, 11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Now contrast that to 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So what is your heart's response to the word of God? You hold it, you hear it, you love it, or have you lost it? Do you see something else here? Do you see how God preserves his word? Evidently, there was only one copy of the book of the law remaining. Think about that. As far as I can tell, only one copy of the book of the law remaining. But God providentially preserved it. I've told you before how Diocletian decreed the destruction of the scriptures. And it was an awful, awful thing. Uh, Destroy the church, destroy Christians, kill them, burn their sacred scriptures. But within 50 years of Diocletian, Constantine was having copies made at the government's expense. God preserves his word. Let me add, a smiling world is far more dangerous than a frowning one, and I rather think that on one level, we are more likely to lose the word of God under the administration of a Constantine than a persecuting Diocletian. But our confession of faith speaks of God preserving by his singular care and providence his word. There will always be his word until Christ comes again. We will always live as a pilgrim people on the way under the Bible. He will always have his word for his people. That's why the work that Waller and others do in translating the scriptures are so incredibly important for the lost and for the saved. Well, let's bring it to conclusion. Now see this. Due to Manasseh's sin, the Lord determined to bring judgment in due time. 
De Graaf, the Dutch theologian, says, What this story reveals to us is that the old covenant was powerless to save the people as a people. In its decline, the old covenant cries out for the new. When the new covenant comes, as it has, it brings a new reformation. The law is now written on the hearts by the indwelling Spirit of God. So that de Graaf also says, Although the prayers of Josiah could no longer penetrate to the grace of God for his people, the Christ has opened the way to that grace through his blood. Thus Josiah's work cries out for the Christ, and his impotent reformation cries out for a reformation by the Spirit. Aren't you glad that has happened? Aren't you glad that the Spirit of God now applies the work of Christ sovereignly, indelibly, to the hearts of God's people. Oh yes, there was grace here in the old, but it pushed ahead to the greater grace of Christ's coming. And oh, how much the greater blessing should make us immeasurably more grateful for God's word and immeasurably more attentive to it. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.